The indie author revolution has been around for more than a decade, but we indies continue to push the boundaries of what we're capable of, from getting over initial prejudices to staring down perfectionism and author imposter syndrome. We've become a force to reckon with. Now, after years of hustle and grind, we indies are rebelling again. Gone are the days of publishing a book a month until we drop, and in its place we're sowing the seeds of a better way. A way with more ease, abundance, and flow. Get ready to learn about indie authorship from a whole new perspective. We're about to cover everything from releasing your poverty mentality to manifesting your millionaire author destiny. I'm Carissa Andrews, and this is the Author Revolution Podcast. Well, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Author Revolution Podcast. So for those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while, you already know that direct sales was really a huge component of where I was heading for this year. Like there was a lot of interest coming from the conferences that I've been to over the past year and a bit. There's been a lot of consideration that's gone into it. There was obviously a little bit of Kindle Unlimited drama, which is still not resolved. But at the end of the day, I did end up going wide and I did end up creating a direct store. And I'd like to thank a lot of that mentality and a lot of the, I think, gumption to today's podcast episode guest. So today we are talking with Katie Cross. She is a wonderful direct selling author who writes young adult fantasy, and she has been absolutely killing it in the direct sales space. But I originally met her and ran into her at InkersCon this past year, and I was riveted by her story that she told well at InkersCon, right? She was up there talking about her experiences with, you know, trying to get her store up and running, seeing some really wild success, and then COVID happened, and she had to rethink her strategy a bit, especially being a mom. Now, we're going to get into all of this stuff, and she tells the story much more elegantly than I do, so I, I want to leave that for her. But overall, if you're an author who's thinking about what does your author career get to look like for you and how do you want it to look like for you? Do you want it to be, you know, this huge mastermindy type situation or do you want a simple skeleton kind of a plan for now? Whatever it looks like to you, however your author career, your author bookstore, however your direct sales store gets to look for you, it's all up to you. And Katie does a really good job of explaining to us like the mentality that we need in order to do well with our own stores and why it's actually so important that more of us are doing it now. If this is something that's calling to you, I hope you're going to love this podcast episode as much as I <laughs> as much as I loved talking with Katie. I must have had espresso that day, guys. I was really excited, talked really fast. I mean, I know I always talk fast, but even for me, I'm listening to this thing going, holy cow, I talk fast. So hang on to your hats, <laughs> be ready, maybe drink some espresso yourself. And uh, let's get into this podcast episode interview. Well, hi, Katie. Welcome to the Author Revolution podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. Now, I spoke in the introduction a little bit about how you came into my sphere and like caught my attention, obviously at InkersCon. <laughs> well, I was just wondering if you'd Explain a little bit more, though, to my audience about who you are, like what your author journey has been like, and how you kind of came to that perspective of being an advocate for selling direct. I know yeah. a, lot, a lot in one question. So, 
<laughs> no, it's, it's a great question. I love multi-step questions. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here and chat with your audience. I love the angle that you put on things. So this will be oh, really you. fun. So I'm Katie Cross. I live in Montana and I write young adult fantasy books and I have two kids. They're seven and four. They'll be eight and five by the time you're hearing this. And they're amazing. They're rock stars. I have a lot of dogs, probably too many dogs. And I just really, <laughs> really, really love to play in the mountains. It's like my favorite thing. So we live up by the National Forest and we have a great time. And so I get to live in fantasy worlds and then I get to live in an actual world that feels like fantasy because it's just so beautiful up here, which is really cool. So I yeah, that. I started writing, gosh, like when I was in first grade, I think a lot of us can relate to that. Like I just always was like, it wasn't this like thing I picked up. It just always was. And eventually through a series of events, I worked as a, a pediatric registered nurse uh, for a long time. And then I married the military and that ruined my career and I didn't have anything <laughs> but writing. And so I dove into this book called Miss Mabel School for Girls, led me to self-publishing. And here I am almost 10 years later with over 70 books to my name, 55-ish books to my fantasy world and absolutely loving it. A couple years ago, though, I was frustrated with the Amazon hamster wheel of, you know, you're constantly trying to get a book about deal and get it on and advertising was different then than it was now you know amazon ads were just kind of coming out and facebook ads people are still trying to figure out you know so it's just different and I, I just felt like i was on a hamster wheel and from the beginning of my career i always really focused on how can i be an entrepreneur in the publishing world like how can i actually run a business because the the advice i always got once i started self-publishing was act like this is a business and so i said okay well how do you do that so i followed entrepreneurs outside of the publishing industry. I went really far outside the industry and then I would pull the nuggets that I found into publishing and self-publishing. Well, I, did, I didn't feel like I was a business owner. I felt like I was at the whims of all these other retailers and BookBub, which was fine until BookBub stopped loving me. And it just seemed like overnight I stopped getting their deals when I would always get their deals. So that was like, uh-oh, I totally had my fate in someone else's hands. So I decided to start trying out this direct sales thing. It wasn't as popular then as it is now, but it, you know, it still had traction movement. And I, I had like a mastermind slash kind of course that I started with and I set it up. You can find a lot of those now. I set it up through Shopify. So the, I had a, a WordPress site at the time, but I decided to, set up, decided to set up a separate Shopify one so I could just have really clean data as I ran the Facebook ads and I could season the pixel a different way. And it just seemed easier that way. So I set up the Shopify store and I started selling. And in a nutshell, because this is like a three-year story, I got into direct sales the January before COVID hit. And so when COVID hit and Facebook ads like dropped advertisers like it was hot, I was there. And so I just bought up all the bandwidth and was doing thousands of dollars of ads a day and having so much fun and had my first six-figure month. And it was all just really cool and all tied together and it was really fun <clears throat> until it wasn't. And then, you know, it like <laughs> the post COVID drop hit and, and my, the model that I had created around direct sales at the time just proved like proved it just wasn't going to work for me specifically. There were other people was working for, but just the audience, whatever I tried and we tried everything. My team was trying stuff. I had ad representatives at Facebook. I talked to once a week. I mean, we're doing everything. I just couldn't make it work. And Basically, what happened is I realized I'd become more of a marketer and less of a writer, and I wasn't happy anymore. You know, so I had to completely step back and realign and say, what do I actually want, and how can direct sales get me there? And that leads to kind of last the last year and a half where I've been 
focusing solely on direct sales and like the the building the dream life that I want to lead and and doing it through my own company. And that's kind of brought us to where we met at Inkerscon. <laughs> right? Right? Okay, that's super interesting that you said like you weren't happy you became more of a marketer and less of a a writer. So do you think that was like the the precipice of like where you needed to kind of put that hat back on and connect with the readers from like the like the reader author or even reader reader perspective where it was like there was just like the, that disconnect because I know I get that way even sometimes where it's like I'm more in the, the entrepreneur or marketer perspective mm-hmm. and then I'm like why is this not working the way I anticipated but I found the same thing where it's like you have to kind of go back to that fun and the the basis of who you are as a creative so do you think that was yeah. the, really the case yeah it's really just digging deep and figuring out what do I really want here? Because I, I don't want to villainize advertising or marketing because I, I love the marketing hat. It's fun. It's creative in its own way. And I still do that. But at the time, I realized I didn't come into this to become a marketer and a Facebook ads expert. Like some yeah. people love that and do that, but that's not what I specifically wanted. And I realized I don't even really read anymore. Like I'm hardly writing. So I did lose, mm-hmm. like you said, that like reader connection. And so I just had to step back and ask, what do I really want here? Like, what makes me happiest? And for my, my answer, for me, it was writing. Like, I came into this game for story. And then the second thing was, I loved the response I got from my readers when they connected with my world. Like, I get right. life-changing emails every single day from readers that are like, I was just diagnosed with cancer or my husband was just in an accident and I'm in the hospital and I'm just reading your books to escape or I'm a mom and I'm breastfeeding at night and I just need something happy. And, you know, I just get all of that because we've all been there. And when I get those emails, I just remember like I'm here to put goodness in the world through story. And that is what felt really good to me. And so that's where Mm -hmm. I decided to rebuild and structure around that ideal life. That is so cool. I love that so much. And it's it, it's such a, when you think about it, it's like such a different vibe too, versus like, I'm here to sell the books that I've written versus I'm here to connect my readers with a place that's happy. I mean, that's so yes. different, right? Exactly. So different. Like, so I'm cool. here to provide a place for you to escape and find courage again. Like that's, that's the goodness I'm putting back into the world. And that's how I want to show up every day. Like this is who I want to be over here. And it is really fun to make money. I like making money is like my third favorite thing. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> But I found I wasn't as successful at making money when I was focused on the money versus when I was more focused on my readers. That's when the money came more easily, more profitably. That's so cool. I love that. Is there anything in specific that you, now that you're direct, that you do in order to engage those readers so that they know that's what you're there for? Like that that's your ethos? Oh gosh. Yeah. So I, I very, I form a very intentional relationship with my readers through the direct sales. And I do that because I want them to make decisions for me. So I think all of us are aware of like decision fatigue, especially as writers. We're like trying to plot something like I just can't decide one more decision, right? Like I just don't (laughs) want to decide anymore. Um, I felt that way in my company sometimes. Like I would throw this stuff out like they're going to love this. They're going to love this. And inevitably, if I loved it, they hated it. And it was so frustrating. (laughs) Like, gosh, like no matter how much market research I did, behavior is very different than like what people say. So people will say they'll buy something. But behavior is always very different, right? So what I was noticing is I was making assumptions or I wasn't like asking for behaviors. I was asking for approval, which is a very interesting difference, right? So it's very different when you say, here's a book 
that I think you'll like pre-order it, right? Versus this is a book I think you're like, you'll like, and people will be like, cool, that sounds really fun, whatever. They're just trying to make me happy. But like with direct sales, you can throw an idea out and say, hey, if you want to pre-order this at a special price, I'm writing this book and you can watch the pre-orders. And if you're getting a ton of pre-orders, they probably want the book. And if you're not, like, interesting, you just refund them and do a different idea. You can't do that at Amazon, right? Like, can you imagine? So then then you let them decide what stories are coming out. And if you don't want to have to go through the hassle of refunding those pre-orders, then you just like try something else, like maybe have them vote for it or, or just explain like, I don't care if you don't like the idea. Like, I just want to put out there what you're doing. And I've done that enough with my readers now that I know they're going to be honest with me. Like their behavior matches more of what they'll say because I've built up trust with them. Sure. So I will, I will say to them, hey, here are five ideas that I'm willing to write for like the next book. Can you vote and let me know which one you want? And usually like they're going to vote the same, the one like, the votes are usually pretty clear which one they're the most excited about. And then that usually does really, really well because they've made the decision for what I'm writing next. And I've already put out their books I want to write. So it's not like a struggle for me to write it. And in that way, they make my decisions for my company. And then it turns out people buy when it's what they want. Weird. That's so strange. Can you imagine? (laughs) So using direct sales, you can get super creative with how can I, one of the questions I ask myself is how can I give this decision away? Like to the, to the buyers, because then, then the behavior follows that you want. And that's one way that direct sales has really in the nitty gritty helped me just be more creative and more successful and profitable. It's almost like you've got a crystal ball too. You're kind of putting it out into the future, letting them like dictate what's coming, even like trend wise. Like if they're, they're Mm -hmm. starting to all like the same thing or like the same kind of trope or the same kind of concept. It's like, you can almost Mm -hmm. see like, Oh, this is the way the market's trending. Okay, this is cool. Interesting. Yes, you can kind of anticipate. I've even had, I wrote a novella that people, that I was like, this is like a side plot that wasn't resolved. So I wrote a novella on it. And then at the end, because of this novella, there was like this whole story idea born. And I knew my readers would probably like the story idea. And so I just, at the, only at the end of the book, I just, so it was only for people who had read it. I just said, hey, I'm going to do this novel and it's going to be a big one. And I have no idea what it's title. I just know it's title. I don't know what's going to happen inside, but I know it will explain more of this novella. And I don't even know when it will launch, but it's probably in like nine months. And I had thousands of dollars of pre-orders. And I was like, shut up. No way. (laughs) But it was at the end of this novella that was really emotionally stirring for them. And I knew it would be. And so I was able to just capitalize on that and then get that instant feedback. And I was like, how interesting. Like, nine months they didn't even care they didn't even i they knew i hadn't written it and i did not have decision on what or how it would be i couldn't even give them like an idea of the content and they still wanted it anyway so that was super interesting data like that is really interesting it's almost like the i follow a lot of course content creators obviously and so like they'll they've done stuff like that where it's like you ask the question in your groups or whatever like, would you buy this thing? I'm thinking about creating this course. Like if I put it up for pre-order or whatever, would you purchase it? This is kind of the vague idea I have, but other than that, I have no, no clue. And if they start to like, obviously come over or start to pre-order, you know that there's some traction there. They do the same mm-hmm. sort of thing. So that's really interesting. I never thought to do that with my books. Huh. Well, and the behavior that you can have them actually do, because because like I said, like if you can drive behavior instead of like approval or just them saying they'll do it, the behavior could even be like subscribing 
right? Sure. Like yep. sign up for this special list and only updates for this book will go to this list. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. So then you're yep. not making them pre-order, but they have to like engage something to yep. show like they have some behavior that then shows they're interested, right? For sure. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to play with this. It's really fun. Yeah, that's super cool. Do you typically reach out to them through like a reader group or your email list? How do you get them to respond to your survey? Like how does that part work? So both, but email is always king because I own that, yeah. right? So I, I drive everything through email and then we have a Facebook group called The Witchery. Okay. Um, it's a place in my fantasy world. So we, we titled the Facebook group that to kind of make them feel at home. So we post things through there and then we post on Instagram and Facebook too, like my fantasy page on Facebook, but really most mostly we drive through email in the Facebook group. That's super cool. I love that. Yeah. And nice. I do actually, I do um, Zoom calls. I call them Coffee with Katie. And uh, we do it Friday at noon mountain time. And then I have a live writing with Katie where they can come watch me write for an hour every Monday night. And they vote for short stories that they want that take place in my fantasy world. And I write those short stories only on those calls so they can watch it develop. And oh, then we cool. record the audiobook together. So a lot of the times if we have new initiatives or things coming through, I use that platform to really push it to the in-person people because there's something about like talking face to face about it. Yeah, that that really drives at home. So we communicate a lot through there. So I'll be like, hey, the reader's request form is live. Like, go throw your ideas in. What do you want? And then and then they'll go do it. And I'll just drop the link in the Zoom chat or something. Was it always really popular from the get go? Or did it take time to kind of get the readers to realize that? Yeah, you're going to be here. You're doing this thing like engage with it. I think the like the overall trust, you mean, like with yeah. ideas? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, trust takes time. Right. I'd say it probably was about six months when people started realizing, oh, Katie's like serious. So at the beginning of 2022, I said, we're going to do a book a month. I'm going to have a book a month for you. And some of those were novellas. Right. In 2022, I was figuring out my process, trying to figure out if I could do it. What did it look like for systems in my team? How did I set up standard operating procedures, that kind of stuff? But I produced a new novel every three months and then a novella every month. Okay. And at about six months, when I was consistently launching the first Friday of every month, they were like, oh, okay. So I kind of noticed behaviors like stabilize mm -hmm. where they were buying every month, they were showing up, they were responding. And then at the beginning of this year, I announced I would be doing a new novel every month. So like a 70 to 90,000 word book, the, be wow. the first Friday of every month. And by now, people just know like the first Friday, Katie shows up in my inbox. Ha she has without fail for over a year. And then that like spills to other things. And what I noticed was people were more willing to share my stuff with other people because they knew my niche, right? I was yep. fantasy. And, well, it took me a while. I hung on to both a contemporary romance series and fantasy for a while, but I didn't like being split and it didn't feel good. And I wasn't serving my romance readers the way they deserved. And so I just cut that off and I've moved to just full fantasy focus. So they know like my niche, they know how to share me, they know how to refer people to me, they know how to like who should come into my world and how. And so it seems like once I built their trust, the word of mouth really started picking up because they knew that they could honestly say to people, she does a book a month, you know, like you're gonna, you're right. gonna be able to do this. So how, what is it? now I got to understand your system. Like you've got the two young kids, you're writing a book a month, 70 to 90,000 words. How do you do it? Because I know people on here are going to be like, how is she making that? I know. <laughs> I know. I get a lot of people that are like job dropping. It sounds, it sounds really crazy and really daunting, right? Like it seems like a big deal. But first of all, I've been, I've been like published for almost 10 years. So I've been slowly yep. figuring out my process for a while. I love 
I, I cannot emphasize this enough. I love writing. Like, I just love being in Alcara, which is my fantasy world. And I love stories, right? So there's power in stories that supersedes all of us. And I think it's, I love tapping into that and I love the puzzle. So I'm a big fan of the actual work, which makes a huge difference when you yeah. actually love to write and edit. Makes you want to work. And then I will sometimes write, write like at my computer. This is not, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on email. This is just, I set a timer and for one hour that timer goes and I'm doing nothing but writing anywhere from five to six hours a day sometimes. Like yesterday sure. I wrote 14,000 words over the space of 12 hours. So wow. there is a lot of just in the work time. It's, yep. it's something I've built up the ability to do over time. I've like listen to people that are smarter than me and I've taken their advice, you know, like it just, it has built up to what it is over time because I, that's who I wanted to be. Like that was what I wanted to put in the world and how I, that was the vision I had for my company. And so I've moved toward that vision slowly and I have a lot of safeties built in, right? So I have a four and a seven year old at home. So I have to be really, really efficient. So I, when I'm mom, I'm mom. And when I'm working, I'm working. So I have a babysitter over here for three hours today because I need to be away from them so I can actually work. And then as soon as I'm done with the three hours the babysitter gives me, I close my computer and I'm mom. And then summer is the worst for productivity, <laughs> right? Because I can relate. <laughs> all over the place and like, you know, it was solstice yesterday. So we were trail running. So it's just, there's a lot of, so we, um, like I have to work at night now, but during the school year, I don't work in the evenings, but I have to in the summer because I'm catching up because I want to play with my kids. So it's about flexibility and efficiency. And I just know I have to write 10,000 words today, period. Or I have to edit 15,000 words today, period. It doesn't matter how that happens. That's just what has to happen today. And I just put myself on a schedule and I, and I just do that goal every day, about five days a week during the school year and six days a week. <laughs> That's during great. the summer. And then I always take Sunday as my, my full day off. That's super cool. And it's, it's cool that you say it the way that you just did, because, you know, I teach manifestation. So to me, it's, you know, you make the decision, that's your starting point. And then you lock in the vibe and you keep taking that inspired action until it's there. Right. And so for you, you're going, okay, I have to get 10,000 words done today. That's your decision. You trust mm -hmm. that it's going to happen. You just keep going until yep. it is. And it's, it's like, that's the process. That's the process every day over and over. I love that. Exactly. It's the same thing, which yeah. for some people that I talk to, they're like, I would get so bored. And I'm like, really? Because I'm like flying through this fantasy world and I'm like writing with dragons and there's nothing boring about writing these stories, you know, right? <laughs> it's different every day. Like yesterday I had a very, like my kids were at daycare, but then I had like to go to a doctor's appointment for my daughter. So like, sometimes I just write in the car and I'm like, you know what? I just have to hit 10,000 words. So I'm going to write wherever I can write. And then I went for a run after dinner and playing with my kids and then I came home and and then I just like wrote for a couple more hours and I went to bed. So it's like, I don't have, like, it can move and breathe. Like it doesn't have yep. to be so structured and regimented as long as you're just locking in that goal and then hitting it no matter what. And that's, that's that. it's so simple and you just do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, like ad nauseum. Yeah. It's really not super sexy. <laughs> like but, really it, but it's super cool because it's all about that trust of, of course, I can make this happen. Of course, yep. it's going to be a thing. Of course. It's like, there's no exactly. question. Like, this will happen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's so cool. Have you played around with like trying to speed up, like either using dictation or AI or any, anything like any of the tools to help you write faster? No. So I tried dictation when I had my daughter and I was breastfeeding and I just could not wrap my brain around that. Maybe I was too <laughs> distracted, like trying to like help her breastfeed and like talk out this dragon story. It just wasn't working for me. Sure. Um, but 
I and AI, like I'm curious about AI, but to me, the I'm I'm a plotter and a pantser. I'm very much middle of the road. So I have whole stories plotted out, but then I pants the scenes. Yep. So the AI would take out the funnest part for me. You know, yeah. like if I were to prompt it and then get something, then I would just be editing it, you know, and figuring out from there. I can see the value of AI as a prompter. If I'm stuck somewhere, it could just kind of give me something to look at to move around. But for me, the I get the joy and the discovery of, oh, this Same. connects over here. And oh my gosh, this is what this looks like. Blah, blah, blah. And like, there's so much joy for me in that. And then there's joy for me when I edit and it polishes and it cleans up and the words are so pretty and you find the exact phrase and there's joy in that for me too. So I stay pretty solid with that, but I do track. So I usually when I can, I set a timer and then I see how many words I wrote or edited in that hour. And then I just watch for trends. And usually there's like a slow, steady upward trend. I can first draft an average of 3000 words an hour. And it used to be closer to 2000. And sometimes I hit 3,700, you know, so then I kind of watch for trends just just because it's interesting to see. But no, those are the joyful parts for me. What I found is I actually cleaned up everything else that was inefficient and just made more time for writing. So unsubscribing from only emails that are like emails that are necessary only like I unsubscribe from everything else or I have a different account for those. I have a timer. I'm only on Facebook for 10 minutes and I go to the business suite so that I don't get distracted by the feed. Um, I don't have the Facebook app on my phone. You know, like that kind of stuff where I can shave off all of these decision points or all of this time that I don't waste. And it's amazing how many hours a day you open up when you're not opening up email. Yep. Like it's because you just, if you're drafting and then you go check your email, your brain switches and there's so much lost time in that. And then trying to switch back to email I used to think that was a bunch of crock, but now I'm like, there's so much you lose when you're like, like task hopping. Yep. So I do all of my business stuff at the beginning of the day or sometimes at the end of the day, depending on my goals. Like today, I was like, I have to get these specific 5,000 words written because I have 15,000 I have to edit. So I had a very clear goal before I went to bed, what had to happen today. So I didn't even open email or anything else. I just went right to writing in my early morning hours time and I got all of that done. And then I engaged in email and I'll have to finish it tonight after the writing's done. So sure. That is so cool. I love that so much. It's like the the whole concept of it is just, it makes so much sense in my brain as to why it's working for you and why the the whole process is so like spot on. I mean, it's just, it's great. It's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I used to write a lot more like in those breathing moments, like you called it that when I, my kids were younger and now it's more like, okay, morning time is for this. This is that. And so I, I will batch those times so that Mm -hmm. my brain is in that zone of doing the one thing and one thing only. And then you move to the next thing because it's so true. It takes, I think they've done a study. They've done multiple studies on the, like the multitasking aspect of it It takes 21 minutes on average for a brain to get into the flow of whatever it is it's working on. Yeah. And the second a kid interrupts, or the second you check your email or the second you go to Facebook, you've lost the momentum of it. And now you have to get back into that 21 minutes all over again. And so, yeah, if you have that time frame just to just to get yourself moving, that's the way to go because then you're not distracting it constantly. It's so- I think authors feel that so deeply too because we'll go from like parenting or exercising or working or whatever it is we're doing and then we're like standing, like staring at a blank screen and it's like, oh, it's so hard to like drudge up these words, especially if you've been like flipping through Instagram watching funny reels. Like how do you like get into a fantasy world that's medieval, right? So I think yeah. authors more than anyone can appreciate that time gap. For me, I have found that if I 
I'm mentally focused on my first draft and then I like take a physical break. Like I step away from the computer, run to the bathroom, grab a snack, come back. That doesn't really, that's not hard for me to switch back in. Or if I like go for a run and I come back, I can switch right back into the story because my, it's like my brain is still engaged in the story in a specific way. But if I try to engage my brain differently, like with email or posts or like different stuff like that, for some reason, it is really hard to get back into writing. I wonder if it's that uh, decision fatigue, like you were just talking about. Mm. I don't remember if it was in the podcast episode or before we started, but we were talking about decision fatigue. And I think parents in specific have a really hard time with this because they're constantly dealing with questions all day long, normal questions for normal everyday life. And then you're doing it for your writing. And so maybe it's part of that where it's like now all of a sudden your your brain engages in a decision or a conversation it has to have, which is completely outside the world you're writing in. Mm -hmm. And so now you're using a different part of your brain. You're using different synapses. And so it's just that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Okay, now I got to, this is my question. So because I'm super interested in this, right? So you've said that you work with Shopify. And Mm -hmm. I'm so curious as to like, what was the decision with Shopify versus like, say, WooCommerce? uh, And like, what do you see as the benefits of Shopify? So for me, it was simplicity, right? I I had like kcrosswriting.com was my old domain. I had that for a long time. And I just didn't want to like figure out putting WooCommerce on there. I mean, I I buzzed around a little bit, but once I saw Shopify, it just seemed like so no brainer to me because, you know, you could put your Facebook pixel on there. You can open up a Pinterest channel. There's there. It's such a big company. There's so many ways to access it and all the apps that funnel to it. And the dashboard was just really easy. Like it all just came really easily to me. And then you can buy the domain for like 19 bucks a year through Shopify and have access to all the DNS and backend stuff. And then that just became my website. So I eventually just phased out my old one and everything is run through the store, which I love because then I'm just, I'm just shunting to this platform that's really easy. All of this like SEO juice, right? I'm not fighting with myself. I just, it's all yeah. going to the store. And I like that because I had WordPress for a long time and it was fine, but it sucked up a lot of my time just figuring out all of the like stuff behind it, right? And all the updates and blah, blah, blah. So that sucked up more attention than Shopify ever has. And you, there's just so many apps now and so many app developers that you can just add on. Like you can add reviews, you can add like Frequently Bought Together is a really cool app. There's, I mean, there's just so many that you can add and like just diversify and create new funnels and new things that was really easy on Shopify. Are there any apps in specific that you think all authors should utilize? Yes. Other than obviously frequently bought together. (laughs) Frequently bought together for sure. Uh, Judge me. I have for my reviews. People can put reviews. There's, I think it's Honeycomb for funnels. That's really, really good. I I really like Honeycomb. Yeah. Yep. Honeycomb for funnels is really good. Uh, Those three are sort of like your trifecta just to to give the people what they want. Like people do want to write and see reviews and you can train people to eventually write from your website over time or to review on your website over time. I've tried some other apps that I just didn't love as well. Those are the ones that really come to mind the most. I'm just going to look really quick because it, it lists some. Oh, there's there's different. I also use Lulu Direct for my paperbacks so that they have an actual app on there that makes it really easy to access. And then another good one is there's a bunch of print on demand for merch, right? Ooh, so cool. like you can like just upload a design and like create t-shirts and then like you get half and the print on demand company gets half and then they drop ship for you. So it's like POD paperbacks, but for merch. And so which those company are, is that? Um, I use T-Launch, but I'm, 
sort of waffling. I might go to someone else, but they've been okay. Um, okay. Some of their backend, it's like not supported on Shopify something. I don't know if they just need to update something. But there's been a few little quirks that I'm like, eh. I use it so who's, infrequently. Who's the one, I have one that you're looking at then? There's a couple. I haven't actually chosen one. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> um, some people have told just me about me. Printify. Yeah, I've heard, okay. I've heard good things about Printify. And when I first like looked at this, I had someone else recommend T-Launch to me. When I first looked at it, I had like shopped the app store for a bun- bunch of them. And there were, there were a lot like, and they all have like reviews and like trials and all this kind of stuff. But I've heard good things about Printify too. So yeah, cool. I like that it, Shopify just makes it easy to do things. And you can have blog posts or pages or videos that are embedded. You know, you can do just about anything you want to make it look really, really amazing. I love that. Is there a way to be able to pull, like if you have a, let's say you're in, you know, all ends right now into Amazon, can you pull reviews from Amazon over to the the store mm-hmm. or do they have to like come over to your store and specifically? No, you can scrape it. Yeah. You can okay. scrape it off Amazon. That's legal. And then we, I had my IT guy that worked for me at the time. He scrapes the reviews on Amazon and then pulled them over to judge me and put them on. I have no idea how he did it. Um, like I was like trying to get him to do a standard operating procedure over it, but it, it just fell through the cracks so that we could do it later. But I think it just says, I think maybe it says on the reviews that they're from Amazon or something. Okay. I'm not sure how that works, but That's yeah, cool. you can scrape reviews from Amazon and put them over at least through the judge me app. When I first started using it a couple of years ago, I haven't tried updating it since. That's awesome though. That at least gives like readers and the, obviously the authors, uh, another way to be able to get people to see that, look, this isn't to like, just to like a book that someone just randomly puts out there. This has got reviews. Yeah. This has got some, you know, <laughs> reader reader interest already. And so now we're moving over to our own store. We're doing our own thing, but it's the same book. That so. social proof is really powerful. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That is super cool. So how do you, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit, but how do you encourage readers to find you and your books and then purchase directly from your author store? Like what what is it that you do then? So the main thing is that I don't ever share any other retailer link. The only time that lately we have done that is sometimes when we have a new book go on Audible, we'll put it on Facebook and we're just kind of testing to see, do people actually click on this? Like what's going on here? Do people go to Audible? Like if we don't have advertising dollars behind it, it's more been a test than anything. But other than that, there's no other option. I'll say to people like this is available on all retailers, like at the back of the ebook, like where I have sure. a list of books, that kind of thing. But on my newsletters, uh, my social media, it always goes just to my website. And Smart. if people ask for a link, it just goes to my website. And, you know, people will say, are you on Amazon? I'm like, yeah, I'm on Amazon. You can find me there. And I'm there and I'm easy to find there and it's organized there. I just don't provide that sort of juice to them. And mm. there are some people that probably do leave and don't buy from me. But most of the people that really matter are buying straight from me because they get a discount because I can add value really easily. And it's a much more fun shopping experience than like Amazon where you're just getting blasted with ads everywhere. Right. The other thing that I do is I figure out the really highly valued stories that readers want because at the end of the day, they just want more books, right? Like most people aren't going to really care as long as they can open it up and read the book in a, in a good manner. So I just figure out if that's what they want, that's what our readers want, and their behavior shows that they're going to buy it, how do we add value in a way that they can't say no, right? That's really like the secret behind driving sales. Like how do you add value in such a way they can't say no? So I just write more stories, but I write the ones they really want. So I'll sculpt my novel in a way that there's a subplot that does resolve 
but maybe it resolves in a way that isn't super clearly seen that the sure. readers would be like, I want to know what happened, like exactly right. what happened, right? So then I have that story written. And at the end of the book on the retailer, I'll say, if you want to hear how this went, just click right here and it goes right to my store. And I'll say, this is the only place you can buy this is right here. It's only 99 cents or $1.99 or $2.99 or whatever it is. And I get those first time purchasers all the time. And then what happens is they'll be like, oh my gosh, there's all these other stories I didn't know were here because they just found me on Amazon. And right. then I will see like high orders, like 80 to $150 orders where people just go through and get all of the books that are only on my website and buy them all at once. Wow. Right? So then I've Holy made mom. a customer of them and they'll stay with me. Yeah. And then I do awesome customer support. So for a while I had someone, I had a customer support VA that that's all she did. I just, I do my own customer support now because we have honed it and like perfected it to such an art that it's very rarely I have a problem with customers. And most of the time they've just used the wrong email address when they order. <laughs> um, that, like autofill puts a different email and they don't see it and they don't get their book and they're upset. And I'm like, well, there was no order. What other emails do you have? And it takes like two minutes, right? So I don't even have to pay for a customer support VA these days because we've just honed it and perfected it. But that awesome customer support and emailing directly with me also gets people really excited. Like I get readers all the time. They're like, this isn't actually Katie, right? I'm like, yeah, no, it's me. And then they get so, they like fangirl over email, right? They just like get really excited. And that's where they really start understanding, oh, like she's here talking to us. This and then they find business. out, oh, like I can talk to her on Zoom. Like that's so cool, you know, and then we become friends and that's where that relationship really starts. That's so cool. Now you, uh, I'm going to have to go back to that in a second, but you mentioned Lulu for your paperback books, but do you use like BookFunnel or some other place to be able yes. to deliver the eBooks then? BookFunnel and Lulu are my two delivery services. So BookFunnel delivers the eBooks and audiobooks, and I cannot sing their praises high enough. And then Lulu does my print-on-demand paperbacks, and I absolutely love everything about them. So they make it so easy for me to run this, honestly. Without them, I'd be lost. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I know Lulu was at uh, InkersCon as well. And I yeah. wish I would have gotten the chance to sit down and, and speak with them. I'll have to reach out to them They're and so be fun. like, hey, guys. <laughs> yeah, Sarah would love it. You should reach out to her. She'd love it. I will definitely do that. So when it comes to like that engagement and all the, all the ways that now the readers understand it's you and, oh my gosh, I can talk to her. Like, did the traction build, like, did it start kind of slow and trickle or was it pretty, pretty instantaneous because you were only sending them directly to your, your store and getting that going? Like, how did that look? Oh, it's a trickle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I had established audience, like I had an email list that were motivated to buy, but it still took a while to start seeing those orders come in on those back titles where they all of a sudden understood, oh, there's a lot of these, right? Like, because when you have as many titles as I do, then it's a question of, well, how do I communicate these to the reader in a non-overwhelming way? My fantasy world is Alcara. There's over 55 titles there. How do you put those in front of people? You know, so we've, we've experimented with like reading order lists and like certain segmentation and email follow-up and that kind of stuff. So I think the process of like pulling them in and doing that built the trust. And then it just slowly started rolling because once they came into my website and they saw I had all this other stuff for them and, and that they loved it, then they wanted to stay. But it is hard data to track, right? Like I don't go right. through every single order and figure out, was this your fifth order or your 10th order? But what I have noticed is that names pop up over time. If I just kind of skim my orders list, I start recognizing people and I'll kind of click and be like, oh, this is their 25th order. 
or I'll have like a $150 order land and I'm like, oh, sweet. Who bought from me? Right. And so I'll go look <laughs> and it'll be first time order. And then I can look at their titles and be like, oh, interesting. Audiobooks are big for binges. Like I had an almost $300 order the other day come through and it was all audio. Someone just like skimmed through and got all the audiobooks. So that was really cool. So, you know, you can kind of pull the data in and get an idea that way. That's so cool. I just had to make a note because I'm like, I don't want to forget this. <laughs> is it easy for like when people are coming to your store, is it easy for them to buy all like, you know how Amazon has like the series and you could be like, oh, buy all four of the books from the series mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. Is it easy on Shopify to buy all? That's what the frequently bought together is great for. Oh, then you okay. can just they can hit buy all for that. Or, nice. you know, they're just adding stuff to cart. I've actually found that a lot of my readers like to browse and they like to study and like make sure they want this. They're very like, as consumers, their behaviors are more targeted than I expected. Cause I'm like, I fly sure. by the seat of my pants and everything. I'm like, that book looks awesome, bye. Like <laughs> Chirp is my best friend. I'm just always like urge buying like $3 audiobooks off of them. So a lot of them are a little more targeted. They like that browsing, taking their time ability. And then other people who are just, show the people that are showing up for the monthly launch, they're just automatically buying whatever's on the frequently bought together button. And it's usually the book that's on sale and then the next two for pre-order oh, and then very cool. just kind of buy that way. Nice. So I'm curious too about, I think you mentioned like the automations behind the scene with your emails, right? That you have like, mm -hmm. if they come into your world at a certain point, do you have a lot of different automations in the background to, to keep people engaged in the world? I have tons of automations. Uh, I don't have as many marketing automations, like marketing okay. geared. So I have sure. like a free ebook, a free audiobook. I have like variants of those that we've tested over the over the years. I used to do a ton of A-B testing on like my opening sequence and, and testing it out and stuff. But you know, that always changes. The market changes. You kind of have to roll with it and stuff. So I, I have some of those. We've tried like tried segmenting based on tagging. Like if they have these tags, then they would go to this they would get these other recommendations. So they've read, mm -hmm. if they have these tags, that means they've, they've bought this series so we can recommend this next series, right? You know, like we have that kind yep. of stuff. But right now I just was driving, like I wanted a very simple, clean business model while I was like getting my kids into full-time school. <laughs> like, right? I was like, you know what? <laughs> I, I have a very specific life I wanna lead right now. And while my kids are not in full-time school, this is how I can do that. And so I just made a really clean business model so I don't have a lot of marketing funnels that I have to support right now. I have enough to grab the people that are interested, like in ebook or audio. And from like in the fall, when my daughter will be in school full time, then and I'll have a couple more hours every day. I plan to take those extra hours I have and start building out more robust marketing systems and testing those out. So nothing too complex right now because my life just didn't support it. Sure. But that's really cool. I love that. For me, it's the the same kind of situation where, well, a little bit of like sideways stuff went down too. I like I had automations in the back end. I use MailerLite, and so I had all that. And then when MailerLite kind of shifted to a different business model, I moved everything over and integrated, and then all of my automations broke. And so I'm like, ah! So I had to figure out how to get them all back up and running. And so it's always very interesting to see like who's using them, how are they using it, what's the best way to engage. I'll be talking with Holly Darling as well soon, and so I'm going to be oh, definitely fun. picking her brain. But it's just, it's it's super interesting and it's something that I'm going, okay, I'm going to have to rebuild these and, and get them back out. But I, I feel like I want to do something different and just have more fun with it for sure. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Now, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> but what do you think your key to success has been with direct sales? Oh, my relationship with the readers. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. all, I'm building a, the the business that they want, right? Like in the fantasy yeah. world that they want. And so I think 
let like moving them to be the decision makers and you know like they don't know like they don't know that necessarily i mean they they wouldn't be surprised sure. to hear me say that but and there are obviously decisions i make but letting them really dictate like what do you want and when do you want it and what feels good i think that relationship and building that trust is the absolute key i mean i know tons of people that are making millions of dollars in direct sales in a different model and and they love it and they're not as connected because that just doesn't work for them I think for me with such a simple skeleton model. So that's the, that's the key here is I have a very skeleton model so that I have time to write. Because remember, it was all about the life I wanted to lead. And the life yep. I wanted to leave was outside in the yeah. mountains, right? And I wanted Running to those write trails. stories. <laughs> yes, I have trails to run. Thank you. So it's like I, I had a very specific goal for my life. And that required that necessitated a very clean, simple business model which to me is a delight because I don't have to think that much about it, where I have run a very complex, like bigger model that made a lot more money, but required a lot more of my time and attention. And I got a lot less time outside. So having such a clean, streamlined model built on my audience doing a lot of the marketing for me, that necessitates this sort of relationship with readers. But that I, I do want to be clear, like that's not going to resonate with everyone. There's going to be people who are like, I don't want to hop on Zoom. There was an author I spoke to at InkersCon. She's like, I write under a pen name and I don't want them to know that I'm a, a, a woman of color. Like they oh. think I'm probably just this white woman and it would break my entire brand if sure. I were to reveal that. And I was like, yeah, that's tough. Right. Like, right. Yeah. When you aren't sure what they're going to do. So there's like she wouldn't want a model like mine in the same way. Like I'm very like face forward. People see me. Yep. So it's it's going to be a different model for everybody. But for me, the connection to the reader was required for me to run this clean business model, build trust and be able to have those recurring sales every month to drive the cash flow. I love that. So no, were they the ones that also kind of helped you make the decision about doing a book a month? Like, were they the ones that were requesting that? Or was that your decision up front just to like build that consistency? That was my decision to build the consistency because that's what my cash flow required. Okay. But I have asked them since, like, is this too fast? Would you want faster? And of course, they're like, we would read your grocery list, Katie. Like, we would read anything. <laughs> right? So like if I, because sometimes I launch a short story, about every three months, I launch a short story on the third Friday or whenever it's available. So sometimes I do two launches per month. Those are like more subdued. And they're just like a fun cash flow injection. They're not anything I tried to build stability off of. So I made that decision. But I did that decision based on their behavior because they were showing these behaviors that when I launched books, I made money, right? Right, so right. Like, well, I want that money every month. And so that's what I started doing. Super cool. What does your launch look like then? Like, how does that, obviously you have like the Zooms and, and everything, your emails go out, but what does a launch look like to you? Oh my gosh, my launches are the best. So I schedule <laughs> and automate almost every bit of it. Like I go nice. on vacation during launches because I do it so much now that right. like it's pretty, and and. And part of the building trust thing that I did was I just made everything easy for my reader because none of us like to make decisions, right? So they aren't like, I use the same subject line in the email for every launch. It says new okay. book available today. So every time I have a new book, it's going to be the same subject line and they know exactly what that means. And yep. I get like a 40% open rate on it, right? That's great. So I, I make it really easy for them. And then I just have emails that go out. I sometimes offer a discount. I don't offer sales a lot because I want to reserve those for when I need them and so that they're special. So I have like a banner that I put up on the website. I change, I have like up towards the top below my subscribe like offer. I'll have a picture of the latest release and a little description. I change that. 
And then we have social media posts. And then I do a coffee with Katie call that day. But really my launch is like the like a week or two before when all of the final files for everything comes through. I schedule and finalize the launch a week or two before. So launch day is like a super like, cool, we're launching. And then I just spend a little more time on social media. Like I'll do real, like a reel for Instagram. I'm not really that good at it. <laughs> like I just like do a video <laughs> where I talk and I'll, I'll spend a little more time in the groups and that kind of stuff. But other than that, I have writing to do, you know, like, and yeah. I, I would really, it's normally we launch on Fridays and normally by then it's like, I kind of want to go play outside. So like, right, right. Go do other so stuff. Do you, so my launches are subdued. Do you write ahead of yourself to the point where you're like a couple of books ahead or do you mm-hmm. like write it and then launch it? So I'm two months ahead. So I am writing the book that will come out in, I believe, in September. Yeah, I think so. I'm about two months ahead. Got it. That makes sense. The book, I should be getting a book back today or tomorrow from both my title manager and my audio guy for the 1st of July. And then the book that launches in August will be going to my editors in a couple days or at the end of the month. And then I'll get that book. Yeah. So I'm about two months out. That's great. Yeah. I think that helps too, where you're not feeling quite so stressed, like, oh my gosh, I need to like do all the things and, and get this stuff out and, and create all the things. And I'm not quite finished. And it's like, oh, that, that creates a lot more <laughs> undue stress. Yeah. And yeah. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it if I didn't have so much leeway. Like it's, it's a very stress-free cycle. And I, I, I again, built it that way on purpose. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So do you have any advice for new, well, not necessarily new authors, but for authors who are new to direct sales to kind of like put their toes in or where they should start? I mean, obviously you do, but like, what what would your advice be? <laughs> I think really the most important thing is to understand that it's going to start slow. Like it takes a while to to build trust and to train your readers to buy from you. You have to train to buy from you. So, you know, get your store set up, whatever, but consider offering higher value, not the same. So if they can get it on Amazon and they're used to getting on Amazon, why wouldn't they just go to Amazon, right? But if there's something of high value that they can't get on Amazon and they really want it, is there like a scene that you can't cover or like a short story or novella, anything that you can at least put on your website and say the only place you can get it is here and just be really confident and say, this is going to give, like I'm I'm doing this because this is a better experience for you, which is true, right? This is totally true. We're doing this because you can give them more this way. And I've been really honest, like, I don't like necessarily bash Amazon, but my readers understand that Amazon is not in it for me and I am not in it for them. And that's fine, right? Yeah. Like we don't have to be buddies. So my readers understand that and they're very supportive. They're like, we want to buy popsicles for your kids with this money. So I would start by consider adding value instead of just cheaper versions of what you already have. It's good to have your books for less than they are in the retailers, but you want to draw them in with something they can't get anywhere else. Maybe for your audience, that's t-shirts or coffee mugs, or maybe there's some joke you can make between your books and what you offer, right? Like I have, oh my gosh, I have these readers that are convinced that one of these, this dragon of mine, they're like, he didn't die. I was like, you guys, he died. Like he was in a death spiral. He was like plummeting from the air and there was fire around him. Like his name is Elis. I was like, I'm sorry, you guys, Elis died. And they were like, you don't know that because I always say I'm not in charge. Like I'm always like, look, I'm not in charge. All cars in charge. It'll come to me. I'm just the person that gets out of the way and then the stories come. Right. So I always say all is all of ours. So then that, so they've like taken that to the next level. I'm like, you don't like, you're not in charge. All is in charge and all is going to reveal to you in the next Bianca series that Elis is alive. 
So they've started this Elis Lives petition. Like every copy with Katie, this comes up. And I wrote this book like last fall. Like it's been like six months. We're on to this whole new series and they're still talking about Elis. So I finally, as a joke, made these t-shirts that says Elis Lives. And yeah. then I made another one that said Elis Dies. So that like the competing sides could choose what t-shirt they want. So they buy these t-shirts and they wear them to the Coffee with Katie call. I can't even make this up. Right? And they're I like, love that so much. Right. So that's high value. Like, yeah. They can't get that on Amazon. They can't get that anywhere but my store. So and cool. That's the way to think about this. Mm. Right. So think what can you do that makes your readers part of your world? Because if your goal is like mine, you're really just trying to create a better, like a place for people to go when they need to find their courage again. Right. You want to build yeah. that escapism because that's why we all go to books. Yeah. I think at the heart of us, we're all writing books for this purpose. So you want to find ways to make your store connect them to your world so that they always want to come back. So now I have Elis Lives, Elis Dies t-shirts. I take their favorite quotes and I put them on t-shirts or coffee mugs or whatever. Like I'll do that. But yeah. mostly they're here for the stories, right? So find stories that are high value that you can start offering from your store nowhere else and then let that trust slowly build, right? And charge yeah. money for it. Like charge money for those stories. I know some um, direct sales authors are... Like, well, I'm not going to charge anything. I'm just going to make them go through the buying process for them to get used to it. It's like, you can do that, but like, let's train them that you're worth the money too, right? Yep. It's like $1.99. Yeah. Like behavior doesn't change all that much between 99 cents and $1.99 in my experience. When I test price points, the behavior of purchasing is almost exactly the same between the two, except in one, you get a dollar more, which doubles your profit. So right. like go for $1.99. <laughs> right. So just consider what are you training them to believe about your store and then go that way. I love that. I, I just had a conversation uh, with only James and she talks very similarly where like for her, she's, she's more Patreon and merch. And so she does it from kind of that perspective, but it's the same kind of concept where it's like, think of all the way, like think like the creative entrepreneur or the fangirl and like, what would you want, you know, from your world? How would you like to immerse people in it? And like, what ways can you get them excited about being a part of this like situation? And, and it's just, you're concretizing that in my brain that it's, it's really, it truly is. It's about creating that safe place where readers can come fangirl or fanboy out and like, just have a really good time. And I, I think that's just exactly. so key. That's so neat. Yes. I think that's really everything. That's, that's what drives this whole train. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I love it so much. Okay. So do you have any resources available that might help new authors if they're looking to go direct or like want to exit KU and want to start um, doing the, you know, like the wide and direct sales thing? Any yeah. So I um, don't offer any author services right now. I don't have any plans to, cause I'm, you know, just writing books and running in the mountains, but I really highly recommend Morgana Best. She has a really cool course uh, she has a lot of different parts to it. She's been doing direct sales for a really long time. I've talked to Morgana. I really like what she's doing. I work with Joe Solari and his book Advantage is a really cool, like, if you want to read or like get the audiobook for Advantage, that just, that book helped me understand how to think differently about my audience, like in terms of I'm, I'm trying to make a family for them, yeah. right? And so that's yeah, a yeah. really good book to start thinking differently about your marketing. Bonnie Paulson is really good too. Like if you're looking for advertising help, I really like her if you're, if you're doing direct sales because you get so much more data with advertising when you do direct sales. Like, oh, for sure. You can do purchase conversion instead of just traffic, which is a game changer. I love to purchase conversion. So there's a lot of things that way you can do. There's a lot of people out there talking about this right now, which is really cool. 
there's no shortage of resources <laughs> for people talking about direct sales. Those are just the ones that I personally know and would recommend. Awesome. I love it. Well, Katie, thank you so much for being on the show today. We've talked so much and I know that my audience is going to be like, their brains are going to be exploding right now. It's going to be amazing. I love it. I can't wait to get the emails from everybody because they're going to be like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad. Thank you for having me. It was It's a fun discussion and you asked all the right questions. It's been really fun. I love it so much. And you have so many great answers and it just, it makes me want to keep digging more and more. And so I'm definitely, definitely looking into direct sales and I'm going to test out Shopify. If not cool. with my fantasy pen name, I'm going to definitely do it with the rom-com that I'm starting up and just start as a mean to go on and see how yeah, it goes. Yeah. yeah. I like so that. I'm, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to play around with it and go find all the apps that you're talking about. It's going to be great. <laughs> well, it's fun too, because so, the more people are doing it, the more trained everyone is in general. So then it yeah. just creates more success, right? Like, especially with romance. We need to train romance authors to get off KU. So the more yeah. we have people building these stores and training people and building trust, it helps everyone across the board. For sure. Okay, so where can everybody find you, obviously, in your awesome books when they're going, oh my gosh, I need to go check out this woman in Alcara? Yeah, so go to katiecrossbooks.com. You'll see all of them listed there. You can get my first book, Flame. It's a dragon rider book in a medieval secondary fantasy world for free, both in ebook and audio. And if you have any questions, you can just email me. It's katie at kcrosswriting.com. I love it. Thank you, Katie, so much for being yeah. here. Thank you so much for having me. Isn't Katie Cross amazing? I loved listening to her story. I mean, we both are fantasy authors. I started in YA. So to me, it's like I totally vibe with what, where she's at and what she's trying to do. Plus, being a mom is something that I'm also doing. And I do a lot of things. I'm not writing a book a month. But I do an awful lot of things, you know, from all sorts of different perspectives. But Katie takes it to such a beautiful place. And I think the lesson that I really learned from her deep dive into what she wants and how she wants her author career to look for her, really what settled with me was that she created enough space to live the life that she wants right now. And that to her means getting outside and exploring and trail running and being in nature in Montana and having time with her two kids and her family, because that's important too. But in order to do that, she knows what she wants to do for her readers. And so she created a plan she sticks to her plan and she just enjoys every moment of it. Now, when you have that plan and you just allow yourself to enjoy the process, to enjoy the writing, that's really powerful. And the fact that she cuts out a lot of the extra distractions also stuck with me because sometimes I even wonder, is all the things that I'm doing really just distracting me from the one thing I really need to put more focus in on? And I don't know what that is just yet. I'm still asking myself those questions. But it's important to know that it doesn't matter what phase of your author career you're in, you're always going to ask those questions like, is this really where I want to be? Is this how I really want my career to look? Am I meant for something different? Am I meant for something bigger? Am I meant for something that can look different? Always be questioning that because sometimes we start things, author careers included, with a certain idea in mind. And then it kind of takes a life of its own and we get drug along for the ride instead of us taking the reins and actually determining the direction of our careers. So that was definitely something I took from it, in addition to obviously going ahead and doing the direct store. And <laughs> I was a lot more impatient than apparently I let on in this podcast episode because I thought for sure I'd be waiting to do it until 2024. I'm like, no, I've got other things, other plans to do. And, and then I ended up doing it anyway because. 
that's that activator part of me. I like to, you know, once I've gotten that inspired action, I just run with it and I see what happens. And I'm so glad that I did because so far my direct store, even though I am looking at it from like a bigger perspective, my income is slightly down from where it would be when I was in KU, at least so far this month. But a third of my income is coming from direct sales. A third of my income. That means a third of my income has been available to me right now. Like not two months from now, but a third of my income is available right now, which is amazing to me. And I know it's only going to get better and more expansive as time goes on because it's up and up only, right guys? We have this mantra that we hold ourselves to up and up only. So as we choose to do things differently, as we choose to expand, as we choose to create that new expansive version of ourselves, we can trust that the next step is going to be the right step and that it's going to expand for us. And so that's where I'm at for for sure. And I'm looking into, you know, more ways of being able to be inclusive in my direct store. I'm looking for more ways to be able to add value to my readers. I am looking at the way all authors that I know of who are doing direct sales are doing certain things, like what apps are they using? How are they motivating their readers? How are they engaging with their readers? I'm asking my own readers questions, trying to figure out what it is that they really want from me. And that is really powerful stuff. Because as we give our readers what they want, they'll reward us with not only their loyalty, but their readership as well. And we want both of those things, right? It's pretty powerful. And Katie is just such a shining example of what is possible, of the mindset that we need to take and then utilize and trust that this all gets to work out for us in the way that we want it to work out. Like we can recreate, we can, you know, be the phoenix that rises up from the ashes and reinvents ourselves. Taylor Swift, is that you, right? <laughs> we can be whatever we want to be and no one else has to put us into a box. It's up to us to just reinvent every time we feel like we are getting stuck or feeling like we are not quite living up to the potential that we have inside of us. So that's kind of the overall lesson, the vibe that I took away from this conversation with Katie. She's going to be coming onto the podcast again. We're going to actually be having a conversation, a little bit of a deeper conversation about what it's like being a mom and being a powerhouse, right? A publishing powerhouse and trying to do all the things and making sure that not only is our publishing heart and our publishing drive being met, but also our family life and making sure that we have that balance. So stay tuned for that. It'll be coming later on this year. And uh, yeah, so hopefully you enjoyed this podcast episode as much as I did recording it and having the conversation with Katie, <laughs> even though I was hopped up on some caffeine or something. Holy man. How she kept up with me, I don't know, but it's great. Hopefully you kept up with me. <laughs> I talk fast when I get excited. It's just who I am. It's by now 201 episodes. I would hope that you know that. So speaking of episode 201, if you'd like to download today's transcript, go ahead and head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash 201 and you can grab it there. I will also have all of the links to the things that Katie was talking about. Like we'll obviously have a link to her website. We'll have a link to Shopify and a bunch of the apps that she described, as well as Joe Solari's book and some other things. So just head over there if you want to be able to click on them and go easily over to those places. So again, that's authorrevolution.org forward slash 201. 
Now, don't forget, we still have our 200th episode giveaway that is happening right now. So if you want to enter for a chance to win, you can go over to that same page, authorrevolution.org forward slash 201, or you can head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash 200th. So it's 200th, 200th, and you can enter to win at the landing page right there. Oh my goodness, guys, it's been an interesting year so far, if I do say so myself. There is so much cool stuff on the horizon for authors. We are truly taking back our platforms, our our names, our everything. Honestly, it's like a brand new author revolution is how it feels. It really is cool and exciting. And I'm so glad to be a part of this part of the community, this part of the expansion of it. It's just really fascinating and wonderful to be included in it. It's great. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here and being a participant of the Author Revolution podcast. I couldn't do what I do without you. I appreciate you so much. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Get some words on the page. Think about going into Shopify and selling direct. But of course, no matter what you do, no matter how you do it, go forth and start your author revolution. This podcast episode has been brought to you by four amazing people, Daphne Garrison, Tammy Tyree, Quinn Ward, and Scarlett Braden, who are Author Revolution Podcast Patreon supporters. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a patron, head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash Patreon to find out what the awesome membership levels are and what you end up getting. The Author Revolution Podcast is here to provide tips, tricks, and tools for embracing a prolific author mindset and making your dreams of becoming a full-time author a reality. In order to continue providing the quality content you've come to know and love, I would appreciate your support. As a one-woman show, the podcast takes a lot of time away from other tasks, like writing. (laughs) Plus, your support also makes this mompreneur's heart smile. Head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash Patreon.